Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Merry Christmas, everybody. Joining me now to help me do just that. Merry Christmas, Ryan Huang. Ho, 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 Michelle. You're all dressed up like a Santorina. <laughs> I refuse to let go of Christmas. How was your weekend? Yeah, pretty good. So it was a three-day weekend. Just nice for a good recharge and a short work week. And guess what? Next week is also a short work week. <laughs> You're so <laughs> just a bringer chill. of good news this morning. Yeah, I know. It's amazing. It'll be 2024 in no time. Do you have a... Yeah, quick reminder. It's going to be 9% GST ah! in <laughs> how many days' time. So get your shopping lists ready. Oh my goodness. I have so many emails pressuring me to buy what I need before the new year. What's okay. on your shopping list? Plenty, Ryan. Most of them um, things for other people. Mm, well, that's good. Well, um, book yeah. your holiday as well in advance to beat the GST hike. Oh gosh, 9% is going to hurt. It's going to hurt me for sure. But welcome everybody. It's the last trading week of the year. And let's start this morning in the world of, you know, uh, last week I had a friend come on. One of my wealthy friends who's also uh, very generous. A lot of wealthy friends. A lot of wealthy friends. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why it doesn't rub off. Anyway, I remember him saying um, his friends were boasting that they all had re- really expensive watches and he didn't know what that watch was. It's a Rolex Kermit that Ryan wears every day. Oh, um, yes, you noticed. <laughs> and then he said, I collect houses. And, in, you know, and I said, that's such a good line. That's going to be my aspiration for 2024. But so that's why we're starting this morning in the world of Singapore Real Estate Investment Trust. It's been a rough year, actually a rough couple of years for Singapore listed REITs. The IHS REIT index is trading down more than 10% from its peak earlier this year, back in February. But there are signs of a turnaround. The S REIT index is up 15% since late October. And now... As 2023 is drawing to a close, a number of S-REITs are taking steps to boost their balance sheets before they close the year out. Some REITs are raising funds, others are paring down debt or selling off assets. Are there a couple of examples that you've seen doing this? Yeah, this has been quite a year for REITs as they had to navigate a couple of things, particularly how rates are putting pressure on them. Refinancing costs have been quite um, difficult for them to navigate and they reflected in their earnings. And that's why they've had to do a bit more to keep on the toes to move their monies. And if you look at some of the things that have been in the past few months in terms of headlines, you've got the likes of Elite Commercial REIT. They had a preferential offering. They announced a £28 million fully underwritten preferential offering that was um, backed by a sponsor and substantial unit holders. And you also had in the mix other REITs as well, and that includes the likes of Cromwell European REIT, and they bought back about $72.6 million in bonds funded from recent divestment proceeds. So a bit of buyback action there. And we also had divestments in play coming through from Capital Land Ascenders REIT. They were divesting three properties in Australia. Capital Land Escort Trust also divesting three hotels in Japan. So a lot of moving of parts to um, manage the capital. A lot of moving of parts indeed. Another REIT that's pairing off assets is Digital Core REIT. That is a pure data center play. Companies had a rough time this year, but back in June, it even warned it may have to cut its distributions in half. However, Digital Core REIT seems to have turned things around and its shares are now up 
more than 30% over the past two months. What's behind the turnaround? Yeah, digital call read would seem like to be in a good spot because if you think about what's been driving markets these days, all the talk about AI and AI depends on servers and that's where data centers come into play. So digital call read in a pretty good spot. Plus, they sold recently several Silicon Valley facilities for $160 million to Brookfield Infrastructure Partners. So that was all in part to resolve some of the issues around the bankruptcy of one of its tenants, Six Terra Technologies. So that puts them on good footing for next year, which is what I think investors are trying to price in. As you pointed out, it has been on a bit of a rally, up nearly 30% since the announcement. So you've got digital call read on track for diversification plans and also more plans to grow the REIT. In the Business Times, in fact, our friend Raphael Lim writes that Digital Core REIT is positioning itself to be one of 2024's best performing REIT. So what do you think both about Digital Core REIT and the S-REIT sector overall for 2024? Yeah, this year has been all about hikes. Next year is all about cuts. So one headwind taken away from the picture for REITs, I would say... It makes it more compelling. And if you think about it as well, some of the sectors are starting to come to um, more favorable conditions as well. Mm. We talk about AI, that's likely to continue to play out. We talk about hospitality in a good part of this year as well, coming back. And maybe China will be part of the picture a bit more. So that's going to bring more promise down the road for some of the hospitality REITs as well. So it is worth watching the REIT space in 2024. I agree. 2024 should be a really interesting year for REITs with interest rates expected to fall. REITs financing costs will drop, which will be great for their balance sheets. DBS Research has singled out several REITs that it likes, including OUE Commercial REIT, Keppel REIT and Maple Tree Pan Asia Commercial Trust. Let's shift to China now, where big tech companies suffered an 80 billion US dollar route on Friday after Beijing revised fears of an internet clampdown. Beijing is sending mixed signals to this sector, though. Yesterday, maybe in an effort to soften the blow, Chinese regulators approved more than 100 new online games. So let's first start with the route. NetEase tumbled 28%. On Friday, Tencent slid as much as 16%, its biggest intraday fall in 15 years. What prompted the sell-off? Yeah, I think... A couple of things. One is people didn't expect it. So it caught people off guard. We were just going into the holiday season. People were just getting a bit festive. And oh no, we've got bad news around the video game sector where everyone's trying to just enjoy themselves. So talking about what's been playing out for the industry, it already went through a bit of a crackdown. So that's the other thing. They were not expecting another wave of so-called crackdowns. And that came in the form of a bit of a clamp down in terms of caps on the amount each player can spend within a game, a ban on rewards for frequent logins, and to force people to play against each other. So it's trying to curb addiction in some sense mm-hmm. and also spending of too much time on video games, which I think is quite healthy, but I guess people don't like it too much if you're an investor, at least in these companies. So that had the effect of a route, like you pointed out, $80 billion off some of the biggest online names like Tencent and everyone else who produces games. So that was the 
effect we saw last Friday. So these new rules include uh, limits on the development of new games, including an unspecified cap of spending on players. Um, not great news for investors. The proposed gaming rules are expected to reduce online revenue. UBS says they may also hurt small developers more than big ones. Remember, China is the world's top online gaming market. There's some 650 million gamers in China. And the industry's annual revenue tops 45 billion US dollars, according to Goldman Sachs. All right, those draft internet rules were, we were discussing were released on Friday. Let's fast forward now from Friday to Monday. What a difference a weekend can make. Regulators approve more than 100 new domestic games yesterday. Now, what is the latest here? Yeah, so this is being seen as a bit of a softening of its stance against video games. After the huge knee-jerk reaction, maybe people started to think, hey, it's not as bad as what we thought. You use the word draft, so remember it's draft, so things can change. And there's still a lot of uncertainty around the exact rules. Like example, For example, the exact financial impact of the regulations on some of these companies, mm-hmm. whether the bigger companies would even be affected because beyond what's going to be restricted, they have other means to engage some of the video game players as well. So it might affect the smaller ones a bit more. The bigger ones might be able to write it out. Um, so going back into the latest move by Chinese regulators, they approved over 100 domestic games, a sign that, hey, they want the industry to grow, but perhaps not in the fashion that they um, are seeing right now play out in a very... Um, in what they don't think is a healthy fashion. So that's, I suppose, some optimism going into the markets that regulators are not out to kill the market. Mm -hmm. They are still hoping to grow the market by um, releasing more games on the road. We'll keep an eye today on how Tencent, NetEase and other Chinese tech companies trade to see how much of Friday's losses they can recoup. If we take a step back, just last month, Chinese President Xi Jinping tried to reassure businesses that China has an investor-friendly environment. You remember that, right? The surprise imposition of new gaming curbs on Friday, though, has observers really doubting the sincerity of those promises. The New York Times dealbook, for example, writes that the rules are, quote, the latest example of rhetoric clashing with reality. Our next story has to do with weather, and it's a pretty unusual headline. It's all about El Nino, a weather pattern that is related to unusually warm waters in the Pacific Ocean. Here in Singapore, El Nino is often blamed for making the haze worse. A CNBC headline, though, says that El Nino has a sweet tooth. What on earth does that mean? How can a weather pattern have a sweet tooth? Yeah, it's an interesting idea to (laughs) think about how El Nino is eating up some of the so-called sweeter foods, reducing the supply in that sense and making prices higher. And if you look at what's been playing out in recent months, that actually has been the case. Supply has been going down because of all the extreme weather events, all the bad conditions for growing stuff. Supply conditions um, have not been conducive for things like orange juice, cocoa, coffee and sugar. And if things continue, you can expect supplies to be tight. We've already seen some countries putting a cap on exports like India. So I suppose the minimum, it's going to cause some uncertainty about where things are going to be next year. So there's going to be a a tendency for prices to stay elevated until things turn around.
Globally, uh, Holland's Rabobank expects food inflation to come down next year, but it credits El Nino with causing higher sugar, coffee and cocoa prices. This year, cocoa trading at its highest level in more than 45 years. As a result of heavy rains and crop disease in West Africa, Rabobank expects global food prices uh, to fall, but warning that several crops could still, in 2024, be adversely affected by El Nino, particularly in the early part of the year. Mm. Yeah, we've got to give you a bit of an idea of how much they've jumped. So cocoa is up 64% to 46-year highs. Wow. You've got orange juice futures, mm-hmm. a whopping 80% to an all-time high in late November. So these double-digit jumps are really making your eyes water, not your mouth. That's a lot of pain for consumers. All right, time now for corporate news. So we do it up or down style. Let's do um, Manchester United. Are you a fan? Not You're in red. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a lot of fans are well cheering, I suppose, because a lot of the uncertainty is over. You've got <sighs> Sir Jim Ratcliffe completing his deal to buy 25% of the club. So that gives him control of the football club mm. after a bit of turmoil. People have been trying to figure out what's going on. Is that going to be a Middle East investor? Is that going to be this and that? Well, finally, a bit of clarity for... Manchester United fans on where the fortunes of the club are going. Right, Cliff is the CEO of the INEOS, INEOS Chemicals Group. And the British billionaire is paying £1.25 billion for that stake, the 25% stake in Man U. He'll also provide another $300 million US dollars to upgrade Old Trafford Stadium where Man U plays. I'd say this is an up for the struggling football club, which is also publicly listed. The markets have not had a chance to react to Radcliffe's purchase yet, but Manu shares are down 15% from the start of the year. Next up, how's Cruise Line Carnival looking? Alright, I love my cruises. It's an up for Carnival for me, and this with the news that S&P Global Rating says upgraded its credit rating. Two notches to double B minus after the cruise operator Carnival posted better than expected results, helped by stronger bookings and higher prices. Yeah, you're not your only one to love cruises. Apparently, it is becoming a trend. S&P 500 has upgraded Carnival's credit rating. The cruise line has also announced better than expected earnings. It netted about 380 million US dollars in the last quarter, which is a lot better than a year earlier when the cruise line was down. Uh, was more than $1 billion in the hole, I see. So I will give Carnival an up as well. Next, let's look at the homegrown local company that owns Shopee and the online games developer Garena. I'm talking about C Limited. Well, good news if you are an investor of C or if perhaps you're an employee at C. According to a memo, the company is on track to post its first profitable year since becoming a public company. So mm. quite a milestone. And you might be familiar with all the struggles it's been going through in the past few quarters. In fact, earlier on this year, we saw a profitable Q1 and Q2. Then it sank into a loss in Q3. And a lot of competition as well. The likes of TikTok shop just starting to eat this, well, at least some parts of the pie. So it is seeing a lot of competition. So despite that, it is confident of being on track to be profitable for the year for the first time since 
this IPO. Look at that. First profitable year since 2017. CCEO Forrest Lee shared this good news with C employees in a memo over the weekend. That's definitely an up for C, whose shares are down 25% since the beginning of the year. Our last entry today, the locally listed entertainment company MM Squared. Or MM2, I believe, MM2. Uh, is where we have um, <laughs> a bit of a con- group, uh, grouping, I suppose, of um, Cathay and whatnot. So it is in the news because its chairman has subscribed for $6.1 million worth of right shares. And this is always good news to see some insider movements buying up your own shares. It just shows that he's got skin in the game and it's a bit of a vote for confidence. Indeed. So MM2's chairman Melvin Ang is investing an additional $6 million in the company and he's doing this through a 142 rights issue that was approved at the EGM on Friday. Now, two of MM2's larger shareholders have also agreed to buy shares through the rights issue. This will raise approximately $30 million for the company. MM2 shares down more than 25% since the start of the year. But I think that this latest fundraising by the entertainment company is an up. So, let's check in on markets now. Wall Street enjoyed its eighth straight winning week last week. We'll see if it can close the year out with a ninth straight week. But uh, investors, I think, are still going to keep an eye out on the Red Sea and the Suez Canal. We talked really early on about how many companies have diverted ships there. You know, we were speculating then, but we've seen it happen. The diversion of ships as a result of drone attacks by Yemeni militants. Over the weekend, Maersk announced that it will resume shipments through the Red Sea and the Gulf of Aden. That's thanks to a new US-led military operation. It's intended to ensure the safety of commerce in that area. What else is on your radar for the week ahead? Yeah, so looking into the rest of the year almost, it's just four days. Not a lot going on as you expect in terms of data. Tomorrow we've got industrial profits uh, to look out for from China and you've got the PMI data for the large-scale state-owned manufacturing companies in China out over the weekend. Mm. So that's some China data to chew on. And then going into the late part of this week, Thursday, you've got the non-farm payrolls and U.S. pending home sales data to chew on. So I suppose not a lot to move markets. Most people will be out of the markets sitting on the sidelines until next year where we get more clarity on the next earnings season. So that's going to be quite exciting as we look forward to more commentary around AI, cost pressures, perhaps. And of course, um, we will get the Prime Minister's New Year's message as well, which typically is a outlook for next year mm-hmm. and perhaps a glimpse into the full year GDP numbers as well. So that's one to watch out for. Have you seen the UK's Prime Minister's Christmas message? Not yet. Hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. Uh, He pretends to be home alone, so to speak, and uh, puts the phone down on Harry when (laughs) Harry tries to call. Really funny. Now, here at home, the Straits Times Index climbed nearly 1% on Friday, erasing all of its losses from earlier in the year and then some earlier in the week, I should say. It closed out the penultimate trading week of the year at 3140 
However, if we don't see strong gains over the next four trading sessions, the STI will still finish 2023 in the red. It's currently down 3.4% since the beginning of the year. Let's end off on the big screen, okay? Our last word of the day belongs to the box office. It was not a great weekend for Warner Brothers Discovery or its hero Aquaman, the latest film in the franchise. Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom grossed 28 million US dollars during its opening weekend or as CNBC writes, the film Dog Paddled. Dog paddled its way. It's one of the worst openings in the history of DC Extended Universe's openings. The Aquaman sequel stars Jason Momoa, who always puts me in a good mood. But this is likely to be the last time that Momoa plays the role of Aquaman. Are you a fan? I'm not a big fan of Aquaman, but Jason Momoa is a pretty fun guy. Um, So he's probably going to be in for what might be, you pointed out, his last outing because they're going to reboot the franchise, put new faces and whatnot. Maybe he might come out with a cameo. Yeah, but I think not enough fans are going for his last swan song because I suppose a bit of superhero fatigue, Mm. a bit of this and that. People are spending their monies elsewhere, so not too good for the Aquaman outing and well, it lends itself to a lot of puns. Not <laughs> keeping itself afloat in that sense. I like that one. You know, he's a really witty guy, Jason Momoa. They should let him have a hand in writing some of the lines. Maybe we get more wit involved. So Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom gross less than half of what the original film in the series brought in during its opening weekend five years ago. And for film buffs, I know there are plenty of you writing in, uh, listening because you write into me and tell me. There are only three DC films that fared worse than this one during their opening weekend. So want to guess which ones in last place with just 16 million in ticket sales is wonder woman 1984 scratch that off your maybe watch list it was released three years ago and the other two films that perform worse than the aquaman sequel are films you've never heard of before likely blue beetle and the suicide squad which name i think pretty much cancels itself so do you think moviegoers are just as you mentioned your superhero fatigue is that it or is it just DC films plus DC films having quite a steep hill to climb versus Marvel and you've got a lot of things going on I think people (laughs) just want a break so we'll see if the franchise reboot is going to work yeah 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 plus you know lots of options as you say moviegoers flock to see Taylor Swift Barbie Oppenheimer that's back in 2023 but they've been giving a relatively a bit wide berth, shall we say, to returning superheroes like Flash, Captain Marvel, and Aquaman. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A W E D I O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.